Welcome to Bull by the Horns with Giles Vickers-Jones. Hello, I'm Giles Vickers-Jones and welcome to Bull by the Horns sponsored by Shy Aviation. Each week, I'll be sitting down with a hugely successful individual who has taken massive risks to reap incredible rewards. I'll be asking them how success has affected their careers and what inspires them to keep on taking risks. If you like what you hear, then please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. It's 100% free, and of course, you never miss an episode. This week, I sat down with one of the finest outdoor advertising men I know, the global CEO and founding partner of Wildstone, Mr. Damien Cox. Honestly, it's it's great to chat with the guy. Um, unbelievable insight to what it takes to be an entrepreneur. The stories he regales, the the effort he's had to make, the, the mountains he's had to climb. It is really, truly inspiring. Without further ado, Mr. Damien Cox. We're in Victoria right now. Your first office is around the corner, correct? Yeah, correct. So that's how it began. So this is going back to 99, is it? Actually, I think the first office was we started was in 2000, I'm trying to think, 2002, I believe. I was, I'd been working for a German-based advertising company in London. Yep. Standard story. Um, felt like I was doing a lot of the work. Um, I was getting paid. I can't even remember the salary. I suspect it was something around £25,000 okay. a year, which, which felt quite small to me at the time. Right. Felt small even then. This uh, is going back... 20 years now. And I, I think I said to them, if you don't pay me more, then I'm off. Right. And they didn't. Right. Fair enough to them. And yeah. so, so I left and set up my own business with a good friend of mine um, called E.K. Strauss, um, which we felt the name was, uh, it felt historical when actually it was extras and we just put a couple of dots and a German umlaut halfway through <laughs> oh. to make it sound like it had been around for a while. And we, we, we directly competed against with the, the company that I'd just left. Um, and we were, yeah, we were fortunate enough to... Um, be completely and utterly naive. We didn't know about cash flow. We didn't know about running a business. We didn't know anything at all. Right. And we thought, you know, if you build an advertising site on a, they sca- will come. a scaffold in London, they will come. They did come. Okay. Um, but we were that naive. We didn't realise that the cash took a bit longer to follow. Right. Um, so you got that bit between doing the job and getting paid. Yeah. And I think probably a massive lesson for us. Uh, probably a massive life lesson, if you like, but also, you know, a fundamental business lesson is that you know, <laughs> what sells today doesn't necessarily mean you equals cash tomorrow. And, and that had a massive impact on us. So although our ambitions were huge and we did get hold of a lot of assets that we could successfully sell to the market, you know, we were constantly short of cash. And, you know, but I think about a year later, a friend of mine ran a, a magazine called, um, I think it was called Growing Business, and they were doing a a profile on entrepreneurs under 30 and he said do you want to do you want a profile in it and I said why not well mm-hmm. PR is good PR and yeah. uh, and on the back of that we um you know I was I was entered into that and and someone read it at some a couple of the bigger advertising companies and uh, made made an offer on our business which was quite surprising at the time because I didn't have enough money to get the bus from Victoria right, back okay. home to Acton at the time okay gotcha and then was it enough money to change your life was it, are we talking like deposit on a house money? So I, buying t- a house outright I mean, look, money? I was a lot younger then, obviously. Uh, so it was, yes, it, it gave me the ability to buy a small house in West London. Um, so it was life changing. And I think fundamentally what it gave me more than anything else was uh, an understanding that, you listen, business is serious and we're all there to make money. But under, the underlying part of it is actually it's quite a bit of a game. You know, and someone bought a business from me that was 
you know, not cash flow positive, um, had two people running it that were entirely naive, uh, but we had massive ambitions and we yeah. were prepared to take the risk, um, you know, to try and drive our business forward. And, and as a result, you know, we made a fair amount of cash. And what did it look like? So typically when you sell a business, you sometimes have to stay in the company for a period of time, you get paid upfront money, some of the back end after two years, did you go and merge with this company and stay in it or did you go again? Yeah, so, so we sold it to a large, a large American uh, uh, advertising business, I won't give the name. Uh, right. And um, look, there were some fantastic people there, but I think when you've had the autonomy of running your own business, calculating your own risks, um, moving as quickly or as slowly as you want as a business owner, um, it's very difficult in integrating into a, a massive corporate where yeah. you know, there are some brilliant people at the large corporates, but it's a very different mindset. You know, the mindset in a small co, as you're aware, is A, survival, B, success. And, and that, that means you're working 24-7, sure. you know, and, and it's very stressful, but that's quite, also quite rewarding. So yeah. it was a, the deal was structured on the basis of an amount of money up front plus an element of earn out over a period of time. But if I'm really honest, I knew the day I moved there that probably it wasn't going to be right for me. So, um, and it wasn't, you know, I, I spent the year there, um, probably six months trying to work quite hard and, the, and the, the, the remaining six months thinking this really isn't for me and eating too much pizza and maybe drinking too much beer. And did you get, for want of a better word, found out? I mean, do they know that you were cash flow negative? Do they know that you guys have been winging it? Were they perfectly happy with what they bought? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think... So I imagine you had a roster of clients as well. Yeah, right? I mean, look, that we, we, we weren't winging it as such. I think we were just naive at the time in the intricacies of, of accountancy, how businesses run you know, the, the, the period between a sales booking on one of our advertising sites was, and cash coming through the door was approximately 120 days. Okay. So unless you've got a built up cash lump sum somewhere, it's very difficult to cash flow a growing business, you know. So um, I, I don't think we were winging it necessarily. We had some great sites, um, you know, they also bought a number of other businesses, which meant that we slightly got swallowed up in the soup pan. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was a, it was a very reflective time for me. It gave me a great opportunity to a learn about what necessarily I don't like, which is that corporate corporate game. Mm-hmm. But b also understand that you know we we spent just over a year building a business we knew nothing about, and we sold it successfully, and that gave me a huge amount of impetus to think right. There's there's a there's a way to make a lot of money here, but also create great businesses. So what was the next steps? You've done that, you've got your house, which is a big tick, right? Yeah. With any entrepreneur, anyone growing their business, get that house, you feel like, okay, done. Yeah. Um, it's not about the preservation of wealth, it's about the pursuit, right? Agreed. So what's the next step? So Extras is gone. Yeah, um, so, so EK Strauss got sold, yeah. and I spent a bit of time at this uh, American corporate, and um, I felt there was a bridge, a gap in the market, if you like, between... Um, what we describe in my market, which is outdoor advertising, as sort of broadcast medium. So, you know, clients like Colgate booking thousands of billboards across country to get amazing amounts of reach for clients. Uh, and there was a lack in the sort of super premium element of the market. So I decided to start a, a business um, that, would, that concentrated solely on just providing clients with super premium advertising. And there were two, sort of two reasons behind that. One was I've always felt and I've always believed that if you build something correctly and you build it well and you concentrate and, and you really build it to the best possible standard, you'll always make more money than the, the next guy, always. Okay. But the second part of it was advertising industry or the outdoor advertising industry per se is quite political. And so you've got to, entice is the wrong word, you've got to ensure that the agencies have 
the correct rationale to want to buy media from you. Okay. And if they've got one of the big guys who's providing them with a, you know, a ticket price of 150 million of bookings a year, why are they then going to take 1 million off that and spend it with me? Okay. Difficult concept to grasp. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's like any business. You, they, they don't just suddenly go, I want to spend money on advertising. They have their supplier. They yeah. have their agency. So going back to what you just said about having to make it like as good as you can the business, how would you convert a sale? How would you bring that person to you? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining you probably still got the same process, right? Yeah, you, you, have, you have the same pro I think the, the difference is, is was the product. So, you know, if you can imagine, I use an analogy, you know, we had a choice. We could have either built a Ford Escort factory and done what everyone else is doing, which provide hundreds of thousands of different cars and try and break into a market which is completely normalized, completely accepted, and everyone knows what the Ford Escort looks like, or, you know, whether that's equivalent today, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, or we had the choice to go into the, I don't know, Lamborghini Aventador market, where we knew we were going to sell a lot less, but when we did sell, we'd make a really good margin okay. on the top. And, and more to the point, by selling that very high-end luxury item, we had an ability to get noticed quickly. You know, to build factories, to build hundreds of thousands of vehicles, it's a huge infrastructure play. And, and we didn't have the cash, or indeed the assets, or the resource to be able to do that. So our only way into the market to get noticed quickly was to say, our assets are that much stronger, that much better, that much more high profile than anyone else. And therefore, if you want that kind of asset and you want to buy it from an advertising standpoint, you have to come to us. And how was the growth with this business? Because obviously the first one was 14 months, give or take. This one's a bit longer. I think I read, am I right, it's 28 you sold? Is that correct? You sold part of it, 28? Yeah, so I started, I left the big American company. Trying to, trying to think now. I think it was 2004. I think I left in 2004. Right. Um, or maybe late 2003, I can't remember. And I set um, the company up, which is a company called Ocean Outdoor. Which we all know. Yeah. I mean, I can picture it now, the logo. Yeah. But actually, one thing we should say, you're doing big outside advertising. Yes. Correct? Exactly. Rose and on. that was pre-digital. This is literally glue pasting on paper on walls or painting maybe no so at the time the the sort of big the the big uh, sort of shout in the market if you like was was what we call backlights so if you can imagine your grandmother's old cake tin <laughs> take take off the top and yep. put, a, put a put a laminated skin across the top yep. with an okay. image on it and put a light behind it yeah that was just it was pre-digital but it was the sort of in your face this is the yep. most stands out when you're driving really stands out but digital in 2004 when I, when I started Ocean was just starting to emerge. So I think there was maybe there was Piccadilly as one site and there was a, maybe one other site in Scotland that was, you know, had emerged. But my view was this is definitely the future yep. and this is where it's going to go. And you know, whilst, you know, larger businesses are brilliant in, in lots and lots of ways, they're definitely slower than small, nimble operations. Well, you could just nick all the business, right? You don't have to have 100% of the market, you have 10% and you're doing very well, thank you very much. Yeah, and, and I think, look, you know, when, when, you're, when you start your own business, as you well know, you know, it, 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 necessity is the, is the root of all invention. Is that the right phrase? I can't remember. But I take you, it, you are right. You know, There's a lot of necessity you, going you, on you sometimes. Know, when, when you start a business, when your house, your mortgage is on the line, when, you know, feeding your kids is a problem, you know, you'll work every hour God sends to make yeah. sure, you know, where another guy goes to bed at five o'clock or goes home at five o'clock and says, oh, I'll go and pick that up tomorrow. You haven't got an ability to do that. You have to get out there and you have to make a difference and you have to make sure you cut that deal. And therefore you have, I think, one step up a lot of above, over and above everyone else. So, 
you know, we were we were fortunate enough. We picked up some some assets. I took some risks, some big risks. So there used to be a, a very large advertising site next to Centrepoint um, called St Giles Circus. Yeah. It was a banner advertising site on the back above a, a nightclub. Um, the owner is a. What was a nightclub called? Good question. It was um, with um, that guy was that band Steve Strange used to work. I think there. it was. And it was called. I used to go there. Well, it's, it's owned by a, 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 a friend oh, of mine, a was business called? associate called Lawrence Cashel, who's Consolidated Developments, and they run a lot there and a lot of the property in Soho. In fact, they're building an incredible structure out there now called I think it's called Ultranet, which is a sort of new dimension of outdoor advertising. And he's a very clever guy, yeah. and they're doing great things. So anyway, that site came up for tender when I started Ocean. I think the rent on it at the time was. Uh, a couple of hundred thousand a year. I said, look, you know what? I'll pay. I'll pay four fifty. You know that. That's and, and then everyone just went straight in. Well, you know, how, this is how. So this is two thousand and four. Yeah. How have you got this money to do? So, unlike unlike the first business, which was you know, I think when I started Ek Strass, I had five thousand pounds to my name. You know, yeah. I used all of that plus yeah. friends and family and whatever else. Um, unlike that, I went to market and I raised a bit of cash. So okay. through a sort of angel investor I know, uh, he originally put 500,000 in for half the business. Um, yeah. And then when I found St. Giles Circus, I said to him, look, we need another half million for the first year's rent and a bit of capex to deliver this. Um, and he was, he was great, good to his word, put that in as well. So he invested a million pounds sort of within wow. the first six to eight months. With an equity stake as well? With a 50% share of the business, yeah. Fair enough. So yeah. you've got the valuation of two mil, basically. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And we built that site and it sold like hotcakes and it sort of, you know, was, was great. I mean, it wasn't without its challenges. Um, How quickly did you recoup the rent per year? Or what part of the year? Did you, I mean, you must have like first quarter, we need to hit X, Y, and Z. And the yeah, numbers. Oh, do you know, it's such a long time ago. I'm trying to think. I mean, it was... Uh, the, I'm, I, fairly quickly, we were cash flow positive on that site but anyone that knows my marketplace outdoor advertising knows you're only as good as the last site you put in the ground so you've got to keep developing more and more assets so you keep using the cash flow yeah yeah and Um, did you always have a mind i mean if this guy's an angel investor right he's put his money in he doesn't want to just get the return equally you don't want to just make a million quid you want an income and actually you want an exit potentially when you were growing that business was an exit always in mind when always. I say exit, I mean selling, right? So always. So how how do you change your mindset? Because obviously, when we set our business up shy, we just wanted to set a business up, right? Now we think differently with everything we try and do. How are you approaching it then? If you knew you had to do an exit, what are you doing differently to Ek Strauss? That's a good question. I think um, we look. We always planned an exit, but were we thinking about an exit day to day struggles of a, of, a, of a young inception business? No, we were thinking about survival. Okay. But, and survival takes on many different forms. And normally the way I've tried to survive is by growing more and creating more to make sure that there's more in the bucket. So you know, you're more driven and, and, and you get more cash and it, it drives itself. But with a mindset always that at some point this is going to sell. Okay. Yeah, I think you know, one of the interesting lessons I've had, and I've had a number of other businesses throughout the years, is it takes a long time to build a business to a level where it's really saleable unless you're very lucky. Um, and I think that's probably between eight and 10 years. Really? Yeah, I do. You know, if you, if you want a business that's gonna be around for a fairly long period of time, is gonna become a market leader, you know, in an environment, I think, it, yeah. I mean, unless it's a, yeah, some super tech app you come sure. up with that yeah. changes the world, but yeah. for every one that's successful, there's 3,000 that, that there aren't. So right. I think generally that, that's my viewpoint. So there's a long, there's a long struggle. I am um, in about, uh, oh Christ, now I'm thinking, yeah, probably, 
2007, I decided, look, we, we are never going to be able to fulfill the ambitions that, that we need to fulfill unless we have capital behind this company. And typically, as, as a young business, you know, you, you can't afford to pay a CFO 150 grand. So you no. pay a CFO 60 grand. And you haven't got the best person. It, well, you are. You've exactly. got a very good person. So we've been through this as well. Yeah. In fact, we've just hired someone recently who is perhaps a bit punchy for us, but it's made a, it's a game changer. And it is, and you know, I've always every business I've started, I've gone right this time. Let's get an amazing CFO on day one. But you never do because you can't justify shelling out that kind of capital yeah. in day one unless you're backed by you know some enormous business. Unless you're using other people's money, at which point every decision is made from a standpoint of you've got the money rather than risk. Exactly versus reward. It's a it's a completely different way of scaling. And it's damaging. It's damaging to growing businesses that you don't. I don't believe you strategize in the same way that you would if your own, no. excuse my French, balls are on the line. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I don't think that's the right way. And, and uh, so in 2006, 2007, I decided, look, we, we really need to raise some proper money um, behind this business. And, um, you know, we went to, we put an IM together with some people. I know I had a director at the time, a guy called Chris Akers, who'd sold his, um, his online betting company to Sky for 310 million or something. Great guy. Um, and between him and I, we put an IM together, went out to the market um, through an investment What's bank. an IM? Information memorandum, sorry. I'm really explaining. Sorry, sorry, an information memorandum. So yeah. basically a, a It's a deck, a, a, investment deck. An investment deck in a book that, okay. that, or nowadays on computer that people look through and decide whether that's something they would even consider investing in. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we, we went, I probably did 40 or 50 presentations. Um, wow. And how are you finding these people? Because this is... One of the strangest things, if you're in business, how on earth do you go, right, I'm going to find 40 or 50 people? How do you do that? Again, good question. At the time, I was as wet behind the ears as you could possibly imagine. I, right. I assumed, and in fact, embarrassingly, I think I even wrote an email to Blackstone saying, dear Blackstone, would you invest in my business? To which I got a response back, thank you for your note, but uh, we only invest <laughs> £250 million pounds or more. Yeah, I'm slightly drop a zero. <laughs> so, you know. But, you know, so honestly, at the time, I had no idea. Okay. Um, but I spoke to a few people and, and the general response was that you need to find a, a boutique investment bank. Um, and um, we found a very small company. I'm not sure they're around anymore called City Capital. And, you know... This is you doing it all. You didn't have anyone trying to help you. No investment banker. Did bring someone in. You're doing it yourself. No, so, so you know, I had to, we just, you know, you, you, you know what it's like. You've got to call 10 people to get... Okay one answer so you call what do I do who do I speak to and someone says oh by the way I've got a friend here yeah, who, yeah. who does this yeah. and it, you know it is, it is nerve wracking because you're entering particularly on the financial element of cash raising in businesses it is a completely different business they talk in a different way the mindset's completely different and actually there's a massive dichotomy because you've got this what people perceive as a very risk taking entrepreneur with the other side which is this super risk averse Strange private equity company, but the private equity company still wants this entrepreneur but hates them in lots of ways. So, I mean, you've almost got to the point. So, I, I think in my, my understanding with investment, having only ever done it once, we've grown all our own businesses. Is uh, you get to a point where you don't need the investment because the business is solvent, it's turning over revenue, you've got good income, but you're taking the investment because you want to scale up and you've got the formula down pat. So really, there is no risk for the person investing because you're just taking what you do and multiplying it, right? But when you really bloody need it, it's when your cash flow negative, things are going wrong, but then I guess the advantage is you're giving away less equity. So when you were 27, bringing on money, 
what did you sell? How much equity did you give away? What did you raise? And yeah, how, did so, it, so, how did it change your business? So, so we went through this process, and I'm brutally honest at the time. I, I, I the, the, the number of companies I met where I just went, you know, most of these guys were ex-investment bankers had made a ton of cash and really wanted to just sort of preach to a smaller company about how they should be running their company, which is, which is fine, you know, and some people enjoy that. But my view was I want a partner that's going to help and support what we do. Um, and I think it was the every year, actually, from 2004 onwards, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think they do it anymore, which is fine because they're listed. But uh, in the early days of Ocean, I always insisted that we take all the staff to Paris. If we had a good year, we'd go to a half-decent hotel. Uh on an aeroplane if we had a bad year we were on the Eurostar it was a B&B you're staying at Camp 44 I think it was pretty much and um, it's a Campanile that shitty hotel on all the autobahns oh, or the Formula 1 or whatever that's you know. it that's the one so I think that particular year um, I, I you know we, we'd done okay but it wasn't brilliant and I'd done as I say 40 or 50 of these sort of private equity VC presentations and I, would, I was sick to death of it absolutely sick to death of it and I went to see this last company um, and uh, I, I basically said, I can't be bothered to be sat here anymore. This is a fantastic business. We're breaking ground when no one has broken ground before. We're doing something that's going to open up a market that most people can't even see. And really, I don't really give a shit whether you invest or not. I've got a party to go to this afternoon in Paris. So, you know, you take take it. If, you want, if you're interested, give me a call next yeah. week. If not, I'm off. Yeah. And, and it wasn't quite as crass as that. But I, but, but I, you kind of, you took the pressure off yourself, maybe. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I was sick of it. And, it, you know, you were at that sort of point where you go, I'm trying to convince people of things that I absolutely know is right. You know, I know this business has the legs to be hugely successful. Yeah. I know that what we're doing is 100% correct. Yeah. And I don't mean that to sound arrogant. It's not. It's... You know, I think like you and your business, like lots of other, and again, I hate the word entrepreneur, by the way, but mm. let's use it for the sake of this conversation. Like lots of other entrepreneurs, you, you go into something because an idea, a strategy comes into your mind and you're convinced that will work. And, you know, you have to follow that path irrespective of what anyone else says. And therefore, when you get 40 or 50 VCs saying it's not for us and we think you should be doing this or that or that won't work for us. You know, it, it's, it's both debilitating, but also it's like having an argument when you know a wall's black and everyone else is telling you it's white. Okay. It's that's how you felt about That's your conviction. Yeah. And so who did you finally take the money from? So uh, a family office, a company called Smedvig Capital. Yeah, um, I know them. Yeah. They've become very big now. Yeah, they are. Run by a guy called Johnny Hewitt. Um, and uh, yeah, we did a deal with them, I think in May, I'm trying to think now, May 2008. Mm -hmm. And we sold, I think, just over 50% of the company. Um, Were you able to take some money off the table as well? Not at that point, no, okay. no. And, and again, partly due to naivety, partly because we were so desperate for cash at that point. You know, we were growing so rapidly, but we just didn't have any so cash. You almost, it's almost that argument, isn't it? You, you sell 50% and you're almost going to double your income the following year by taking on the investment because you can scale up. Yeah. So you don't really worry so much about the now. You know the future is going to be double. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think a naivety played a huge part in me. What would you have done? This is one of the questions I often ask is, you know, not necessarily regret, but is that regret, would you have done it differently? Well, the, the result of my investment from that particular company, although I would stand by the fact they're a great company, um, is the fact that I ended up getting sacked from my own business. <laughs> So, you know, how, so, how, what, after 28, how, how quickly after that? So, uh, so we did the deal with them in 2008, and in 2000, I think it was two, the, Lehman went later that year, I believe, um, and 
The trousers didn't really fall down in the market until the beginning of 2009, but then the ad market literally went from... Of course. It went from hero to zero. And those things aren't cheap. No. That's big spend. And we were building the biggest, most prolific advertising sites in the market. And and at that time, you know, I think, again, naivety. uh, The the private equity house, Smevig, said, look, we need to get a chairman on board. We need a bit of great hair behind... And we employed this guy, well, I won't give his name because it'd be unfair on him. And I think, you know, he obviously has a huge skill set in what he does. But I could tell the moment we met, the guy was used to a sort of silver platter on a plate with, a, a, you know, a couple of biscuits there and a, yeah. and a cup of tea. And I'm a, you know, at the face entrepreneur. Yeah. And, there, and there, there was definitely a clash there. Um, and, you know, look, I think the bottom line was, I think to some degree they were probably right. I was a little bit naive. I was probably too naive to be the chief exec of a mature business, but it wasn't mature at that point. There were some strategies that I was pushing on that I think they made fundamental errors in not following. But ultimately, I think probably it was right. I think probably I wasn't quite prepared for that position at that point in time. Um, so they brought me in, uh, I think January uh, 2010, I pretty much knew it anyway, um, and said, look, you know, you're, uh, you know, I don't think it's right that you are the chief exec continuing moving forward. And you, know, you, you take it on the chin. I think, yeah. you know, we're used to being entrepreneurs, it, you know, you sink or swim. So yeah. I walked away, I didn't get the best deal on exit. I kept some shares in the business. The yeah. business ended up selling in 2012, you know, made some nice cash, but it yeah. wasn't as much as I would have made before. But the principles remain the same. You know, the business now is is a listed organization. It's done really well, current management, great. Um, the chairman's actually gone of that business now, but you know it's still a it's still a phenomenal business. So in However, a way, you've got a legacy there, right? Which is lovely. No, no, an amazing legacy, and I, I think I still would have played it very differently. I okay. think I would have uh, bought up a, a many many assets that now will be expensive as a result of not being picked up a few years ago quite cheaply. Um, but that's fine. It's allowed me, you know, I left that business and and, and set up. Um, well, let's come to that in a minute. Let's sure. A quick break. Um, Guys, we'll take a break. You've been listening to Ball by the Horns with Mr. Damien Cox. I'm Giles Vickers-Jones. We're sponsored by Shy Aviation. See you in a minute. Shy Aviation and Lifestyle is the global leader in private aviation. Offering an unparalleled round-the-clock service, Shy Aviation focuses on every detail of your flight and are dedicated in making private jet travel as effortless as possible. With no hidden fees or membership costs, our pricing is straightforward and transparent. You only pay for what you use and when you use it. With global airport access, your travel destinations are endless. Plus, with our front door-to-jet-door service, you'll experience true contactless travel, meaning you'll be at your safest with us. We'll even include a complimentary luxury lifestyle concierge for all clients. We're here to help you unlock the world safely, discreetly and privately, and to always give you the ultimate luxury experience. Request a quote and start your journey with us today at shyaviation.com. Wildstone, well, it helps both public and private property owners with the capitalization of land into outdoor advertising sites. The knowledge Wildstone has in the roadside market is second to none. The aggregation of media assets held under their umbrella allows their tenants to benefit from their extensive capital base but also their unrivaled approach to providing high quality roadside assets. Well, that stands the test of time. More info, visit wildstone.co.uk. 
wildstone.uk. That's wildstone.co.uk. Welcome to Bull by the Horns with Giles Okay, welcome Vickers back Jones. to Bull by the Horns. Right, so, Damien, you've exited, you've got a bit of cash, 2012. Um, you kind of had your vision. It didn't quite go as you wanted it to go. Some people, and I've met plenty of people, would have been a bit demoralised, maybe, a bit like... But you went again. This is when you set up Wildstone, correct? Correct. So Wildstone now is one of the biggest players in the market? Yeah, with a, with a well, with not great to say. Yeah, we're one of the largest owners of media infrastructure in Europe. In Europe. Yeah. So I looked on your site. You've got places everywhere. Yeah. Now this time round, you've set it up. Do you have one hundred percent the equity? So I set the business up. I left here, uh, Ocean in twenty ten. Um, I divested the remainder of my shares when they sold to Lloyd's Development Capital in twenty twelve. Um, so I kept some equity in there. I set Wellstone up primarily initially. I think. Uh, as, a, as a consultancy business, we felt there was a disparity between the amount of money that media owners were taking for high-profile billboards mm-hmm. and the amount of money landlords were earning. Okay. So we set ourselves up as a consultancy in between and we said, look, we can get you, the, we know the market inside out, we know mm-hmm. every asset, we know what it's earning, therefore we can set the rent for you uh, and we'll take a margin on that, 20, 30%, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And we, we were very successful. You know, we launched some of the highest profile, profile assets for, you know, the likes of TFL, you know, Land Security, we ran Piccadilly for a while. Okay. Um, you know, you what, name, the big one at Piccadilly? Yeah, we helped them sell. We didn't sell the space itself, but we there was a smaller section down below before they transferred it into one screen um, that we sold to a media owner, or at least okay. rented it to a media owner. So, um, became very successful over a few years and we were looking after local authorities, private sector, um, property companies, etc., etc. But the issue for me was, what I wanted to set up as a lifestyle business, I, I soon came to the realization that that's not really where, where's the exit. You know, where's okay. the real fun in growing this? Okay, so once again, the the entrepreneurial bug or yeah, growing a business bug took you, right? Yeah, and, because and I mean, I mean, someone like yourself, you're really dynamic, you're energetic, you're enthusiastic. You know, you can't just switch off at six. You want to keep going, right? And then then there's opportunities. You can't, and I think you're probably the same. You know, what starts off as a business plan on a Monday at nine o'clock in the morning, by 11 o'clock is different, and by 12 o'clock it's different, and by three o'clock, a new opportunity's come around that you have to look at because you realise that has transformed your original plan, yeah. you know, in, in a major way. So, yes, I mean, the honest answer is what was, I suppose, quite a tarnished human being from having been thrown out of his own business to a re-energised person made me look at the company again and go, look, we've got a great opportunity here. And where I really see the money in the future, bearing in mind what I know about the, the rest of the outdoor advertising market, is asset ownership. We okay. need to own the infrastructure that supports the media billboards. So we are effectively, we need to become a landlord. Of, so you would go get the, the freehold of a side of a building, a, a plot of land to build something into it. So then you're always going to collect rent, right? Exactly. And you can place the advertising too and get a drink out of that. So side. no, we don't, we don't place the advertising. We, we're not a media owner. So in our market, a media owner is somebody like Ocean or Clear Channel or JC Deco. They sell their space onto agencies who sell it onto clients. Got you. We don't do that. We're not so a media owner. So you go and target areas which aren't being used? No, we, we, most, of the, most of the assets that we acquire are pre-existing. Okay. So you'll find, I don't know, an example, there'll be a billboard on the side of a news agent in Bolton. Um, 
maybe not being used at the moment with the Indian Corona right. virus. Well, it could Very be, like the vaccine centre's <laughs> down here. Hurry up, will you? So, uh, so we, we, you know, one of my team will go in, talk to the landlord there, he'll be achieving X amount of rent per year on that site, and we'll, we'll say to him, well, if you're achieving X of rent, we'll give you a multiple on that, and we'll buy that wall off you. Would you pay up front? Yeah. So you, you make the commitment, right? Yeah, we make the commitment, but it's got a, it's got a percentile return basis, you know, day one. So. Okay. That's quite helpful. And then obviously, as any landlord would do, whether you own hotels in London or whether you, wherever your property might be, you're looking to increase the value of that asset whilst maintaining um, a rental equilibrium. So you're trying to maintain the fact that your tenants can keep paying that rent for a long period of time. So you don't want ridiculously high rents no. because they're never going to survive. Sure. You want a level which is achievable and make sure that your tenants make good profit, but equally we, we make what we need. So to this make. makes your company really attractive because you've got residual income, right? Yeah. So you can almost forecast what you're going to be earning. Absolutely. And, and have, you still got the majority ownership of the company? No, so, so we actually sold... Um, so my sold again? Yeah, so my, my action plan with this business was always to uh, raise capital, but not in the way that I've raised it previously, so not have someone take equity in the business. So in 2016, I did a deal with a large American uh, organisation, and effectively they supplied the equity, the, the cash, if you like, mm. um, for us to buy assets, and my company supplied the resource. So we would go out, find the assets, they'd put the cash in and we'd split the profits, gotcha. um, which, was, which was quite good. So it meant that we didn't have that sort of private equity, um, you know, breathing. And how, how much say do they have over the decision making then? Well, the say was, you know, they had a veto over where the asset was purchased. Okay. If they didn't buy it, I didn't get my, okay. my purchase fee and I didn't get my profit out the other side. Okay. So and there was a sort of mutual interest in making sure that the assets we acquired worked for both parties. It's quite amazing because you work with some big companies, equity, essential venture capitalists. Is it a scary world? Because, you know, there's some people say don't sell to private equity, right? Because they've got their own agenda. Now, the way it's working now, have you changed your mindset having not been burnt by Smedvig, but worked differently? Are you now, like, I don't know, probably more apprehensive? Do you, you're a lot more solid on your contractual terms going in? Look, I think I think it's it's. it's a, I mean, is that the only way as well to grow a business? Well, that's a very good question. I'll answer and say. I think I think look, it's a multitude of things. You know, when I sold my sort of first company, if you like, to to or second company to a private equity, I didn't know what private equity was. Right? Who does? You know, I had no I had no understanding of the pitfalls. I had no understanding that they had, they'd even consider doing what they did. You know, yeah. that you know, there's so many elements that I didn't really understand. I'm much longer in the tooth now, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, much greyer up top, and you know, right. I'm, yeah, I'm uh, far more experienced and versed in in, in the world that I, that I work in, and I'm not afraid anymore. You know, I think at that point I saw private equity as a sort of headmaster to schoolboy kind of environment, and, and and it probably was to some degree because I was so inexperienced. Sure. Now, you know, I understand that that my business is my business, and I've got to make that a huge success. I'm backed by a business that's their own business, and they've got to make that a huge success. And we all have our own levers. And one of those levers is making sure that my existing business runs really well, the management team are brilliant. Um, and if it's not, I'm responsible for that. Okay. So, you know, I think there's, there's lots of areas where I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, dare I say it, a little bit wiser. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so now you're still in Wildstone. Yes. Yeah, so sold we, a bit. No, we sold the majority of the company okay. in, in, uh, uh, 16. in late 19, early 20. Oh, okay. So that's... Okay, that's from the time I met you. Okay, so that's when you yeah. said a lot more fun. Yeah. So we um we we were we were very fortunate enough. We ran a process with um, a great investment bank called Greenhill, 
um, and we put a mandate out to um, essentially raise capital to buy out both our biggest competitor, but aggregate you know between seven and fifteen other companies that we wanted to acquire at the same time wow. to, to bring it all into one one place. Um, we were very fortunate enough to come across a company called Digital Colony Partners, mm -hmm. which um, are a huge uh, infrastructure um, fund in the US. Yep. Uh, they're a dynamic fund as well, run by guys that have run businesses, run by, they're just a super dynamic, super ambitious fund. And therefore there's a... They're very entrepreneurial. But probably, very entrepreneurial. Probably a bit like you, their energy, right? Very so much. I mean, dare I say it, the guy that I deal with at DCP probably has even more energy than I do, a guy called Stephen Sonnenstein, and it's phenomenal. And Is it his business? No, but he's a senior partner there. And he still has that enthusiasm. Unbelievable. People like that you want all day long. I mean, you really do. And, and just to give you sort of, uh, you know, a little bit of insight, you know, what they said they could do in 30 days, I didn't believe, mm. fundamentally, because we were talking about hundreds of millions of pounds yeah. being spent. And, um, and they did. You know, and that, and that watching someone do that, and, and that is a lot of work that had to take place in 30 days, was, was phenomenal. And they've been great to their word. You know, my, my business, you know, I still own uh, equity in it, not as much as I did before, dare I say it. But, um, you know, we've grown, you know, more than exponentially. We are, you know, we're probably a £750 million business now from, wow. from where we were. And, you know, we're growing every day. And that's, and, and with a fund behind us that A, we like, B, we have a massive connection with, and C, understands our ambitions and, and also believes it. Yeah, so, okay, so you're probably at the point now where you could say you've made it. In the sense that, are you comfortable now for the rest of your life? Have you got enough? And, and that's a really hard, that's a loaded question, isn't it, right? Because if you go and live like Bill Gates, you're not um, set for the rest of your life, or maybe you are. And actually, what is set for life? You know, you still need a purpose, but are you financially okay now? Have you got enough investments? And I think, look, I, without sounding too cliche look the, the, the money is a ball in the net yeah. the real fun is the game yeah. you know it really is and, and, and sometimes you lose that game I lost you know as I said in, in, in 2009 2010 Ms. I lost you know yeah. uh, the fun is, is, is not walking off the pitch and never playing football again the fun is right okay we need to get back on we need to train hard and we need to be better definitely the, 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 the cash helps along the way have I made it I don't believe you ever really have I think you, you, your life change, your aspirations change. Um, so I think, have I made it? No, I don't think I'll ever make it. I don't think I'll ever make it. I don't want to ever make it. I want to get to a position where my ambition, my drive and the enjoyment I uh, gain from what I do is, is continued. And, you know, the money is great for me, for my family, for other investments that I can put my money into, other entrepreneurs that need that leg up for sure. Um, but there's still a hell of a lot more work to do. So... One of the biggest things that a lot of entrepreneurs do, or people who sell their companies, or exit the amount of times you have, is they go and take on projects they know nothing about. Yeah. And I think this is to the person, right? So you, let's say you're in golf and you sell the, a merchandise company, you make 50 mil. You then go, you know what? I like that business plan, I like that I am. I'm gonna stick 10 mil into that. You know nothing about the business. Have you made some mistakes along the way like that? Or how, how do you look at a project to invest in now? Because in, in a way, you're kind of private equity, right? No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that big, unfortunately. Maybe one day. But um, look, I, I, I'm actually very risk averse. I get told often that, that risk, you must love it. You know, you go into these adventure sports and you do this and you do that. And actually, I think I'm completely the opposite. Yes, I take what other people perceive as risk, but I've run in my head a million different scenarios as to where that's going to come out. Good, bad, indifferent, you know. And, and so therefore, 
when I go into something, I normally know in my mind, if A occurs, I'll do B. If B occurs, I'll do C. If C occurs, I'll do E. So I don't see the risk. I, I don't feel there's a massive amount of risk there. However, I'm not very good at getting involved in things that A, I can't have some say in, and B, I don't know anything about. Okay. So uh, generally, the majority of the investments I have now Mm. are either media related or in the sector in some form yeah um, so for instance i've got a um, an investment in a incredible business at the moment called SmartFrame, which is basically what i believe to be the new netflix of of, of um, photo streaming so if you, i don't know if you know this but um, and again i'm quite naive to it but something like 40 or 50 million images are stolen every day on the internet you know, people right click the screenshot i have never looked at any naughty imagery online no <laughs> nor me obviously um, but those, those images are taken and put in people's private websites or whatever they are. And effectively, someone owns that. Someone has uploaded that image and has the copyright to right. it. And this, this data, this, this um, software stops that. It, wow. it embeds the imagery and there's no way people can steal it. And, okay. and I think it's a, it's a huge game changer. So it tends to be things like that where I think, you know, it's got real legs. I understand strategically where it's going. Could it fail? It could, for sure. But... Um, can I ask you something? So when you... like. I mean, we've all had it as business people, but when you have a problem, how do you look at it? What? So, I mean, let's say you come into a cash flow issue. By that, I mean, let's say you've got a bill for 100 grand on the Friday, it's Monday. Do you know you're going to solve it? And do you typically have in your head like a, right, I'm going to do this first, and if it doesn't work, I'm going to do this. How do you look at a problem when it's coming up? Personally, I've always been quite good at compartmentalizing. So, okay. I, you know, and, and I've had lots of, lots and lots of issues like this along the way, you know, some bigger than others. You know, I've had yeah. businesses where wage bills have been 450 grand a month and there's 50 grand in the account on the Thursday and the wages need to be paid on Friday. You know, it, it really intense scenarios, which you have to deal with because you'll lose really good people otherwise. And generally, I'm not, I, I don't think I could sit here and say I have the solution every time in my head. But because I can compartmentalize and say, well, what's, what's the most crucial thing we need to do right now? And I'll get that done. And then, you know, I hate to say it, but my mother always threw my, said, you know, you've just got to ask. If you've got a problem, ask. And it will be going to the supplier, it'll be going to the bank, it will be going to, you know, whoever and say, look, I'm not embarrassed about the fact that as a new fledgling organization, we, we haven't got the cash in we thought we'd had in today. Can you supply me with an extra two weeks worth of credit? Can you support me and if you do that won't be forgotten when I become what I need to become so it's it's that kind of scenario and different solutions for different problems obviously um, but so far to date touch wood that's my hand on my head yeah I, I haven't yet found a position that I couldn't um, find a, a workable solution to like, do you think that's probably the similar trait for every person who's working themselves successfully I think anyone that has been in an entrepreneurial business for a period of time, learns that pretty quick. Do you ever heard, you know, Bernie Eccleston is obviously the former yeah. empresario. He just says his job's really all about problem solving now. I mean, that's, 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 that's all, I think the majority of anyone building a business, look, buying anything, buying a billboard, buying some eggs, buying whatever, and selling it for a margin is not difficult. It's no. everything that surrounds that. It's the fact that someone's throwing stones at your eggs and wants to break them in half. It's the fact <laughs> that your windows are being smashed on the window cleaner. You. you know, someone doesn't pay you. It, business itself and, and you know, and is, is not particularly difficult. It's everything that surrounds that, that is. And I think certainly for me, the first five or six years of a business, it, it's survival. You know, it's constant survival. No matter how big you, you get, you're 
you're constantly in that mode of we're probably you know a couple of months away from being you know yeah. destitute or bust but it's it's I, I always say to my wife I mean you've got kids right so yeah. you've got I mean you've got a family so I, th- I think a lot of people don't read or recognise that when you're growing a business it takes everything like all the time and don't get too deep here but with a family that takes everything all the time because you want them to be brilliant whatever that looks like right and there's only so much bandwidth and you, you're not compromising your relationships but you are strained with kids and when things go bad I found like for me personally I when we set up shy we had seven years where I don't think I had a day off I still don't have days off but not I mean I'm on about a day where I wasn't juggling cash flow wasn't trying to solve an issue like and I remember my kids going, Daddy, we never see you. And then I had one year, it's about two years ago, when it was all falling into place. And I went on loads of holidays. Growing the businesses, having stress you have with your family, do you think it affected it or do you think it improved you as a father? <laughs> well, to, truth be told, uh, as well as getting uh, sort of exited from my business that I sold, I also went through a quite a nasty nice divorce. <laughs> <laughs> So not so good as a husband. But, but, but listen, I have to be honest in that respect. I, I don't think it was a particular relationship that would have lasted anyway. Gotcha. Uh, you know, the, the foundations weren't as strong as they should have been. So no. we, we built the castle on sand, unfortunately. But look, you know, again, I, I, I genuinely say this, you know, the moves made on me at a business that I started, my divorce, any adversity that, that, that comes into your life during these processes, if you don't die, I, I genuinely believe you come out stronger. And yeah. I, so they're all... I see them all as, 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 as major additions to, 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 to my life. And they've been brilliant in lots of respects. I, I try now to be more at home when I can be. Um, I would be lying if I didn't say I don't get regular grief. Um, sure. But I think, you know, this comes back, one of the points I wanted to raise with you, it comes back to the other point, is I think we're living in a society now where adversity is seen as something that's not allowed. Mm. And I have a major problem with that. Same here. Because, you know, the kids of today, some of the younger people I have employed or are employed, they just don't understand that sometimes it's, it's great not to be wanted. It's great not, not to get what you want. It's great to walk home in a really bad mood thinking, why doesn't the world love me? You know, why can't I get what I want? Why isn't it working? Because that builds you as a human. And I have a, you know, I have a major problem with, with where society's going now, that no one can be offended, no one can be hurt, no one can do it. And you're just going to end up you know, with this society of snowflakes. I and that will kill all innovation. I do think it will implode. Yeah. I can't see how it can exist because in the history of the world... You know, and another you point, need... sorry to inject. Sure. You take the other point. You know, I've been told on a good authority that come, you know, come uh, the autumn budget, capital gains is going to income tax. Well, you know, you talk about seven years of not having a day off. Is it not correct that an entrepreneur who doesn't take a day off for seven years he possibly has the opportunity to lose his wife and family as a result of trying to grow a business, doesn't get a small tax relief as a result of giving employment to 60, 100, 200 people? I think it's utterly disgraceful that well, that's even considered. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of very much a capitalist. I don't believe in socialism, Marxism. I, I can't stand, I can't stand that there's a whole currently fanfare for what ministers of the government are speaking about, bearing in mind they don't have risk. So I find it very frustrating that the whole sentiment in this country is based around fear at the moment. And it's it doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel right that we are affected in every single turn by people who don't take risks. So well, one of the big things like don't risk to their livelihoods. You know, if you work at a public sector organisation, come hell or high water, unless the government physically go bust, which is 
let's be honest, in this day and age with the, the cost of capital where it is, they're just going to print more money. You know, they, they will get their salary no matter what. And yeah. actually, it's the private sector that get hammered. I'm, I'm completely with you. And I Which, think then it needs to implode and people need to realise that actually what keeps the government employed, what keeps the, the country running is not the public sector, it's the private sector. Okay, so with what you think may happen, which hopefully won't, what would your advice be to people who want to go out and start their own businesses, become business people, grow something, sell it? What's your advice? My advice would speak up. You know, when campaigns come around later this year, which they will start to, about capital gains tax, about other incentives for entrepreneurs to build businesses. You know, an, an entrepreneur earning money at the end of his term of selling an organisation is, is not just about him. It's about the hundreds of thousands of people that have been employed in businesses that just would not exist without those people taking the early stage risk. And that needs to be protected because if you don't protect that, we won't have the dynamism in the society that we have today from a business perspective. Here, here. Thanks, Damien. Uh, absolute pleasure, thank you. Right, that's Ball by the Horns. That was Mr. Damien Cox, Wildstone is his company. Go check it out. Um, it's been amazing chatting. Um, we'll see you next time, guys. Bye-bye.